Amen. Come on, bless the Lord, church. How many of you are thankful for a grace that is sufficient? Amen. Sufficient to see us through every sadness and every storm, every trial or tribulation we might face. Thank you, God, for your grace. How many of you know, I know we just finished up a program, that, but how many of you know that for these kids to advance that we saw, for these kids to receive their prize, for them to receive their crown to receive the the badges or the trophies that were handed out this evening, it required discipline. It it required uh, something that maybe some others weren't willing to do or weren't able to do. It required some work on their behalf in order for them to receive the honor and the rewards that they received this evening. And Most of all, it required discipline. And I say all that because that's where God is leading us over the next few weeks in regards to the series that we're going to be looking at. You can go ahead and put up the first slide because I believe where God is leading me to lead you and talk to you is into this area called spiritual discipline in our lives. I know we finished up the parables of Jesus Christ. There were so many more that we could look at, but I just felt, especially after revival, that God was leading us into this area called spiritual discipline. Before I give you the word, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. But I want to go ahead and pray, ask God to anoint me and anoint you as well. I know this is the final week before school starts. A lot of people got a lot of things on their schedule. But I thank God that you're here tonight and you're prepared to receive the word of God. Father, we just thank you for uh, your presence that's in this place. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for all the young people, the, the kids that stood before us that have strived for excellence, that they have dedicated themselves and disciplined themselves to receive the rewards that they did, uh, not just for the applause of men, but for your applause, God. They've dedicated themselves to the study of God's word and disciplined themselves spiritually like we're looking at doing ourselves. I, I give them honor tonight, Father, especially those that have worked with them and sown into their lives. But tonight... We need you just as much, God. We need the anointing of your Holy Spirit to bless your word, to deliver your word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, minds to understand, and especially, God, spirits that have the courage to respond to your word this evening. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy chapter 4, 1 verse, verse 7. I'm not going to read it yet. But I want you to know that Paul is the one that wrote, which I'm sure all of you do know, but Paul is the one that wrote this word, this letter to young Timothy, who was striving to be a man of God. He was striving to be a servant who could be profitable to the master, someone that would be fit and ready for every good work. Timothy wanted to be a servant of God who could rightly divide the word of truth. He strove to be like Paul and he strove to be like Jesus Christ. He was a young man who desired to live above reproach and he wanted to be an example of Jesus Christ. Paul who was the author of this letter, was Timothy's mentor. And the Bible, when you study it, tells us that they were constant companions. Paul was Timothy's teacher. He was a spiritual father. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, we find that Timothy was considered Paul's true child of faith. And we find that Paul even called Timothy his son. And I say all that to let you know that the words that that Paul wrote to Timothy were written out of a deep devotion. 
They were written out of a, a love and affection that Paul had towards Timothy. He wrote these words out of a concern for the spiritual condition of his soul. He did not write these words as a reproof. He did not write these words in rebuke. He did not write these words to correct Timothy for any wrong that he had done. And I want you to understand in the same way that I'm presenting these words, God is presenting this passage to us not as a rebuke, not as a reproof, not as a correction, not because we have uh, done anything wrong, but God is delivering these words to his people out of a love and an affection and out of a out of a concern for our spiritual well-being so that we can be all that God wants us to be. Amen. And these are the words that he wrote in first Timothy chapter four, verse seven. I'm only going to read the latter part of the verse. And he says to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Paul was saying, Timothy, in your ministry, in your call, in your Christian walk, in your spiritual life, and just your, your life in general, I want you to exercise your spirit, Timothy, and I want you to discipline your soul. And see, what God is speaking to us in the same sense is He's saying in the midst of all of life's duties, in the midst of all of life's responsibilities, in the midst of all of the activities and the functions that you're going to have to be involved with in your life, in the midst of them all, Timothy, or child of God, I want you to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I don't want you to forget the things that are important. I don't want you to lose the priorities that are most important in your life. I want you to exercise your spirit and discipline your soul. What Paul was saying was if you want to be godly, Timothy, if you want to live a successful and meaningful Christian life, if you want to be everything that you strive to be, if you want to be fit and ready for every good work, if you want to maintain a good testimony, if you want to have a successful ministry, Timothy, then you have to work at it. You have to discipline yourself. You see, what you and I need to understand is that spiritual maturity doesn't just poof happen in our life. You can't just say, hey, I want to be spiritually mature. And all of a sudden, just because you said it, you're going to be spiritually mature. You and I have to work at it. You need to understand that it took work for pastor to become pastor of this church. It took some work and it took some discipline on my part to come from the secular world to be able to become a pastor of the word of God. Uh, an oracle for the word of God. It doesn't just happen. You and I have to work at it. And we have to discipline ourselves. Just like these young kids had to discipline themselves to receive a prize. You and I must discipline ourselves to receive the most important prize. And that's the crown of glory. And that's our name written down in the Lamb's book of life. That's a place at, at the, the master's table when he finally calls us all home. What Paul was saying was, Timothy, if you want to maintain a godly reputation, which the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, that he had a godly reputation among the people of Lystra and among the people of Iconium and who those people were. I don't want to get too teachy because I'm limited in time. But he was saying, if you want to maintain a good reputation, Timothy, among the people you live with, among the people you grew up with, if you want to maintain a good reputation in the workplace, church, if you want to maintain a good reputation among the, your family and your friends and, and 
and at the house of God and in your neighborhood. And if you want to maintain a good reputation here on earth, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to strive after it. You're going to have to do something in order to have that good reputation. You see, if you want to be spoken well of by men and of God, the Bible says, you're going to have to work at it. It's not just going to happen in your life that you and I ought to, oh, just because we want to have a good reputation doesn't mean we're going to have one. We have to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, the Bible says. The Greek word, I want you to understand, that Paul used for discipline is gymnasia. And if you take notes, you can write it down. And that's the word from which we get gymnastics or gymnasium. And the first thing that I guarantee you, all of you think of when you think of gymnastics and you think of gymnasium is you think of a lot of physical activity. When I think of gymnastics, I think of extreme discipline. I think of extreme uh, structure. I think of dedication. I think you can think of a whole lot of words, but I think of physical activity. I think of a, a little bit of sweat. I think about teamwork. I think about stress, uh, straining uh, to achieve the prize that you're looking for. That's what I think of when I think of gymnastics and gymnasium. Therefore, here's what I want you to understand what Paul was telling Timothy. He was referring in this letter of admonition to a spiritual workout. He was referring and talking about the spiritual conditioning of our soul. He was referring to spiritual discipline and spiritual exercise. He was saying, Timothy, just like you work out your muscles, you're going to have to work out your spirit. Just like you exercise your muscles, you're going to have to exercise your soul. Just like the gymnast has to stretch their muscles in order to do the things they do and do them with excellence, you and I are going to have to stretch our spirit. We're going we're going to have to stretch our soul. We're going to have to do some things that maybe we're not used to doing. We might have to pray a little bit harder. We might have to clap a little bit louder. We might have to pray a little bit longer. We might have to read a little bit more than we do. I'm not going to get into all the details of the spiritual disciplines because those are in the weeks to come. But this is what Paul is saying. You've got to condition your spirit. You see, what you and I have to realize and understand is when we get saved, we have a soul that needs to be conditioned. Our soul is saved and it's bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we automatically take on the image of Jesus Christ. There's some things that we have to work out of our life and there's some things we got to work into our life. Amen. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. I want you to ask yourself, why do you think God sometimes allows trials and tribulations and troubles to come into our life. Paul tells us why in Romans chapter 5 verses 3 and 4, he says that trouble comes into our life so that it might produce an endurance in our life. This is what it says. Rejoice in your troubles because they produce endurance and endurance produces godly character and godly character produces a confident hope of your salvation. You see, what you and I need to realize is that when trouble comes into your life and trials come into your life and difficult times come into your life, it's not just so God can slap you around a little bit. It's so that he can exercise your spirit and exercise your soul and create in you something you didn't have prior to that trouble, prior to that tribulation, prior to that heartache. And it's something called godly character. You see, this is why God brings us through some of these things so that we can develop a godly character in our lives. 
Some people got to go through a whole lot more than others because it takes a lot longer for them to finally take on the character that God's looking for. You see, some people don't learn the lesson the first time they go through the trial. They don't learn the lesson the, the second time they go through the trial or the tribulation. They still grumble about it. They still complain about it. They still blame God about it. But what God is telling us in this passage of Scripture, that when trouble comes your way, what are we supposed to do? Something that doesn't make sense. We're supposed to rejoice knowing that this trial we're going through and this tribulation we're going, to go, going through is creating the character of Christ in our life. It's doing something in us that can do something in the person next to us. This is why God allows these things to come into our life. And this is what Paul was trying to teach young Timothy, that sometimes these things come into our lives so we can uh, develop a good reputation like Timothy had among the people that surrounded his life. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, Paul said. Exercise your spirit and and condition your soul. I hope that you know, church, that we can't read the Word of God one time and expect to be spiritually mature. You can't go to the bookstore, Bible bookstore, buy yourself a Bible, open it up and read one verse, and when you're all done, think, okay, God, now I'm godly. Okay, God, now I'm holy. You can't open up the Word of God one time and think it's going to last you for a lifetime. You can't find your way to a place of prayer and pray one prayer your entire Christian life and think, oh, of a sudden the windows of heaven are going to come down and bless you and knock your socks off and slay all of your giants and move all of your mountains and heal all of your sicknesses. It takes spiritual discipline in order for us to experience the things that God has planned for our lives. We can't come to a revival for one week, four days out of a week, and think that it's going to last us a lifetime. I know it sounds good. I know we would like for it to, but the reality is it doesn't work that way, or God would have never said, discipline yourself on a regular basis. Because listen to me, yesterday's prayer might not take care of tomorrow's giant. You need to understand that yesterday's word might not take you through tomorrow's trial or tribulation. Every day has enough trouble. Every day, it's uh, the Bible says, why worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow's got enough trouble for itself. The prayer you pray today, you got to pray for today's trouble. And tomorrow, we got to pray another one. Tomorrow, we got to go before the Lord again. This is what spiritual discipline is all about. You see, for revival to be real, for revival to last, the one that we just uh, had time with over last week, for for our usefulness to be consistent. You see, we learned uh, two weeks ago that one of the main reasons God calls us to revival is so that we can return to a place of usefulness from from the place at which we had fallen this is what this is what revival really means and for our spiritual fervor to endure for the fire in our soul to stay hot or stay warm for our life to be a reflection of Jesus Christ we've got to heed the words of Paul and discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness you see as great as last week's revival was it was last week As great as last week's revival was, I hope you understand what I'm saying. We can't think that a one-week revival is all it's going to take for us to live a godly life. Uh, Last week's revival might have helped us be godly for a week. 
Last week's revival might help us to be godly some only for one day. Last week's revival might be good enough to last us maybe a month if we're lucky or two. If we, if we let it continue to stir in our lives. But last week's revival is not a good enough to last you your entire life. You see, the reality is, if that was the case, then last year's revival would have been enough. If one revival is enough for our soul, then last year's revival would have been enough. Or the the revival for that would have been enough. But the truth is, church, and the sad truth is, last year's revival wasn't enough to keep some of our marriages together. Last year's revival wasn't enough to keep some of our people sober. Last year's revival wasn't enough to keep some of our people off drugs. It wasn't enough to keep some of our people out of jail. It wasn't enough to keep a lot of our people in the house of God. Last year's revival wasn't enough. You and I need a revival each and every day. We can't look back and say, oh, last week was good and last year was good. God wants to know, how good am I to you today? How much are you going to discipline? Discipline yourself today. How much are you going to worship me today? Because tomorrow is gone and it ain't never coming back. But what are you going to do? What are you going to praise me for today? How much praying you going to do today? How much worship you going to give me today? How much praying you going to do today? You see, we talk about everything that took place 50 years ago. Why? Because we're doing nothing today. I get tired of hearing about the revivals of yesteryear. You see, God wants us to come to a place in our own personal life where we can produce the revival on our own. Yeah, we need God. Yes, we need the Holy Spirit. But God is waiting for a group of people that are willing to produce a revival in their own life. Produce a revival in their own household. God's looking for a daddy that's willing to produce a revival in his household and in his marriage. He's looking for a mommy that's willing to produce a revival among their teenage children or among their kids. Looking for a college student that's ready to to produce a revival on the campus or a high school student in the high school. This is what God is looking for. He's looking for someone that is willing to exercise spiritual discipline in their life so they can have the fire of God burning each and every day in their life. Not having to wait for the next revival that the church is going to hold. One of the, one of the greatest things that one of our uh, guest speakers spoke was, was the fact that the, the pulpit can be as fiery as it can possibly be. But until the pews get filled with fire, until the pews get filled with the anointing, until the pews become filled with spiritual discipline, revival's not going to take place. You see, I can study all I want. I can pray all I want. I can fast all I want. I can get anointed as, a, as anointed can be. To bring forth the Word of God. But if you're not disciplined enough to do what the Word of God says, if you're not disciplined enough to to take that Word and let it produce something in your life, then everything that I said means nothing. And this is what God is speaking to us. And this is what Tim Paul is saying to Timothy. Paul, Timothy, if you want more than your ministry to be successful... If you want more than, if you want your entire life to be a reflection of Jesus Christ, then you have to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Remember, God speaks the need for revival among his people when they are in a decline, we learned. 
when they are in a descent, we learned, when they are not where they used to be, when they're not doing the things they used to do. You know, as well as I do, that when we first got saved and on fire for God, you couldn't put the Bible down. Now it's difficult to pick it up. But when you and I first got saved, as soon as you walked through that door, whoo, something got a hold of you and you wanted to dance, you wanted a shot, you couldn't sit still in your seat. And anything the pastor said didn't matter what it was. It was glory to God. Hallelujah. And now he has to beg and now he has to pull and now he has to plead just to get a smile on a face, just to get somebody to move, somebody to clap or somebody to sing. Why? Because we have allowed our spiritual disciplines to wane. We have allowed our spiritual disciplines to, to, to be the responsibility of someone else. Well, if the pastor's on fire enough, if the choir's on fire enough, if the musicians are on fire enough, then that's enough for me. No, it's not. No, it's not. God said, Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You can't put it off on the pastor. You can't put it off on me. You can't put it off on the elders or the choir or anybody else. God is saying, discipline yourself for the, for the purpose of godliness. And I know I'm going to be limited on time, never be able to finish today, but it's a series, so we're going to continue to move on uh, over the next several weeks. But here's what I want you to understand, church. I believe with all of my heart and why I'm bringing this message is that we are no longer disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. I believe the church as a whole is not disciplining themselves for the purpose of godliness. We are spiritually out of shape. Sadly, that's the condition of the church today. The church, in my opinion, is spiritually out of shape. I want you to know that we're not only living in a world that is undisciplined, we are living amongst a church generation that is as undisciplined as the world, both physically and spiritually. The, the house of God should be the most disciplined in uh, the house that there is on the face of the earth. We should be the most disciplined about our body because this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is the dwelling place of the Most High God. We should be careful what we put into it. We should be careful what we eat. We should be sure to exercise. We should be, we should be sure to take care of our, of our own physical body. The house of God should be the healthiest house there is on the earth. But it's not. Because we're just as undisciplined physically as we are spiritually. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I believe the spiritual disciplines of the church are broken down. And like I said, we're spiritually out of shape. The church has become scripturally illiterate. I've been in youth ministry a lot of my years, and it amazes me how little our youth, and I'm not just speaking about here, I'm speaking about our youth and adults as well. It amazes me how little of the Word of God we know. It amazes me how little we know, church. We know more about the TV guide than we do about God's guide. We know more about what's up with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie than we know what's up with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's something wrong when that happens. We know all about the football season, but we know nothing about the spiritual season we're living in. We got a bunch of people sitting in the house of God that are ready for that whistle for kickoff or ready for that whistle for some sports event. But they're not ready for the trumpet of God to sound. They're ready for the things of the world, but they're not ready for the spiritual things that God has for them. 
This is the spiritual condition of the church today. And this is why Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself. I I said it before. I I think sometimes we are so spiritually out of shape. We can't even pick up the Bible. It's too hard to walk across the room to pick the Bible up off of the, the table and open it up and begin to begin to read. We're spiritually lazy. We're spiritually unfit. We're so spiritually out of shape, we can't even pick up the Bible. We can't even bend over to pray because it takes a little bit too much work. It takes a little bit too much exercise. It's a little too difficult. We're so out of shape, we can't even bear our own burdens, let alone bear someone else's burdens like God said. He said we're to bear one another's burdens, and when you do it, you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. But we're so out of shape, we can't even bear our own burdens. That's why we got to run to the pastor with every little thing that's going on in our life. Because we're so weak spiritually, we can't even find our way to the prayer closet. It's why we pop pills for depression, because we're spiritually out of shape. This is what God is trying to say to us. It's why we run to every counselor we can find in the phone book. Because we're spiritually out of shape. It's why we tune into Dr. Phil hoping to get some kind of word that will turn our situation around because we're too lazy to open up the word of God and see what our master says. You see, we don't want to open up the word of God because it puts personal responsibility on us. It's easy to listen to Dr. Phil. It's hard to listen to the voice of God. It's easy for Dr. Phil to tell you something because he's filled with as many faults as you are. He needs God worse than you do. We are spiritually out of shape, Paul is reminding us. It's why we are so uh, easily sidetracked. It's why we're so easily led astray. It's why we're so easily tempted away from the Father. It's why we're so easily swayed by every wind of doctrine. Because we are spiritually out of shape. Because we're undisciplined in our spiritual disciplines. It's because we are not disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. It's because we are not disciplining ourselves for the purposes that God has in each and every one of our lives. And that's to be like Jesus Christ. It's to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. The truth is the house of God, and I'm not referring to you or or here just specifically South Metro. I'm, I'm referring to the church as a whole. But the church as a whole is so out of shape because the godly, and because of it I mean the godly, can't be found there. And I'm not the one that says this. The scripture says it. David said in Psalms 12.1, he cried out. He cried out. And I want you to understand how he cried out. He looked around uh, God's people. He looked throughout the land among God's chosen people, and he cried out and said, Help, Lord! He saw something that was so disturbing, he couldn't take care of it on his own. He saw something that was so disturbing among the people of God that he had to cry out and say, Help, God! You need to understand how burdened his heart was. He said, Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. No matter where he looked, he could have gone to the temple and he couldn't find any godly. He went into every house. He went looking throughout the cities and he said, Help, God, because the godly are no more. 
And the same thing is happening today. I believe that that you can walk into churches and David would cry out the same exact thing while they're entertaining the people, while they're putting on fancy shows, while they're trying to uh, pander to to the people. I believe the Spirit of God moves in and cries out, Help! Where are all the godly? They vanished. They're even disappearing from the house of God. God spoke through the, the prophet Micah and said the same thing in, in, in Micah 7 too. He said the godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. And they all said this because this is what happens to every church generation. It's what happens to every group of people. It's what happens to every believer and every confessed Christian when they fail to have spiritual discipline in their life. It's when they fail to exercise their soul. It's when they fail to do the things that will bring about a godly character in their lives. I want you to know that the word godliness that Paul uses comes from the Greek word eusebia. It refers, that's the the word is eusebia, and it refers to someone characterized by a Godward attitude and one who does that which is well-pleasing to the Lord. It refers, this one word, because you know in the Greek and the Hebrew it means so many different things, they couldn't write all of them, so they, they come up with the word godliness in the English. But in, in, the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew it means all of this. It refers to a mind that is set on spiritual things. A mind that's set on godly things and holy things and righteous things and lovely things and excellent things. It's a mind that is set on things above where God is seated, where Christ is seated. It's not, it's not referring to a mind that is set on things of this earth. Things that, things that are passing away. Things that moth and dust and time will destroy and, and eat away. He's saying that you and I must have our minds. If, if you want to be godly, if you want to be holy, if you want to be righteous, you got to put your mind on things that are godly. you got to put your th- mind on things that are righteous. You can't be looking at pornography and think you're going to be godly, think you're going to be holy. You can't be setting your mind on gutter things and, and the things of this world and the things that are passing away. You can't meditate on the things that are rotten and think that you're going to be like God. You can't have your mind all day set on things down here and then wonder why you don't look like that up there. As God is saying, if you don't got enough, if you don't have spiritual discipline in your life, if you don't have the right mindset, if you don't got your mind set on things above, you cannot look like my son, Jesus Christ. You can't talk like him. You can't act like him. You won't walk like him. You won't dress like him. You won't behave like him. You gotta set your mind on things above. This is what Eusebia means. This is godliness that, that Paul is referring to. A godly person, this is the last definition, and I'm gonna start bringing this to a close, but a godly person, according to this Greek word, is one who acts properly, one who reacts properly, and one who leaves no doubt in anyone's mind that he or she is a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That's what Eusebia means. That's what godliness means. It means that you and I are to be living a life where there is no doubt who we belong to. Where there's no doubt that we are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And the sad reality is you can have some unbelievers walk into the house of God, recognize some individuals that they know from out in the world, and they wonder... 
Oh, I didn't know they were a Christian. I didn't know they came to this church. They act like me. They talk like me. They dress like me. They curse like me. They drink like me. They get drunk like me. They do drugs like me. They cheat like me. They do all of these things just like the world. But God, Paul was talking about a godliness that puts away every doubt as to who you belong to. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy. Timothy, you need to discipline yourself so that when someone looks at your life, there's no doubt who you work for. There's no doubt who you love. There's no doubt who you serve. There's no doubt who you, who you give your life to, who you're consecrated to, who you follow and who you love. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy. Discipline yourself, Timothy, for the purpose of godliness. The word Eusebia is the the word that he used. But the sad truth is, listen, church, God calls us to spiritual revival like he did last week. When it's too hard to tell what kingdom we come from, when it's too hard to tell what father we serve, when it's too hard to tell who our master is. That's why God calls us to revival Because he knows that we have grown too far away from the image of his son to make a difference in that world. That's why he calls us to revival. And if you think coming into the house of God for four weeks and getting a nice shout and getting a nice blessing for yourself. And I praise God for the power of the Holy Spirit over the last four, the four days that we had revival here. But I hope you understand it doesn't stop there. It is a personal Commitment, requirement, sacrifice, dedication that each each and every one of us have to make. Go ahead and put on the music because I know we're running out of time. The word Eusebia, as I bring, start to bring this to a close, this is the last reference that I'll make about this word because it's, it means so many. But it refers to an awe of God that is exhibited by our actions. And I want that to sink in for a second because I want you to understand what Paul is saying and what I'm saying. The godliness that Paul refers to, it refers to an awe of God that is exhibited or demonstrated or highlighted by our actions. It's highlighted by our praise. The awe of God that you and I have, according to this word, is highlighted by our praise and by our worship. It is highlighted by our joy and by our excitement. It's highlighted by that song that's in our soul and by the praise that's on our lips. It's highlighted by the little dance that the Holy Spirit gives you when you you feel the Holy Spirit moving. The, The awe of God that Paul is talking about is highlighted by our giving and by our tithing, by our service and by our sacrifice. You see, I say all that because I want you to understand the godly individual that Paul is talking about. They give God praise. The godly, you need to understand, give God praise. The godly that Paul is talking about have something to get excited about. They've got something to sing about. They've got something to dance about. They've got something to rejoice about. They've got something to clap about. They've got something to hallelujah about. They've got something to run about and skip about, sing about, play about, move about. You see, and God calls us to revival. 
when there's no song, when there's no dance, when there's no happiness, when there's no joy, when there's no excitement in the house of God. This is why God calls us to revival. The easiest way for you to tell whether or not you're close to being the godly individual God wants you to be is what kind of joy you got in your life. What kind of praise you got in your life. What kind of worship you got in your life. No matter what's going on in your life, the godly give God praise. The godly, when they're in the midst of sickness, trial, or tribulation, they say, God, I'm going to rejoice because I know what I'm going through is going to give me a godly character that It's going to change that world out there. This is what you and I need to understand. We can't just talk about godly. We can't talk about being godly and have no song. We can't talk about being godly and have have no exhibit of our praise or the awe that we have for God. I know I'm running long, but you and I need to understand that when we walk into the house of God, there should be an awe that comes over us. There should be a joy and an excitement that we have left that rotten world behind. And for about an hour or so, I'm going to bask in the presence of the Most High God. I'm going to dance to the One who gave me life. I'm going to sing to the One who gave me breath. I'm going to, I'm going to rejoice. Over the one that has made his promises, yes and amen, in my life. You see, this is what it will take for revival. You see, I I love when revival comes to the church, but sometimes I get concerned when we have the kind of revivals like we do. Because it puts all the work on someone else. It puts all the work on Brother Ziegler. It puts all the work on Tommy Bates. It puts all the work on, on uh, who are the other ones? Jackie Smith and Kevin Wallace. It puts all the work on them. And we think, yeah, I'll come enjoy their excitement. And you know what happens? When they leave, the church begins to wonder why the rest of the staff aren't like them. The rest, not realizing... That the pastor's got to clean up the sheep's mess after the, after the evangelists go away. They, the church doesn't realize that the, the ones that come in and give that good word, like I think it was Jackie said, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. And they leave the mess of the sheep for the pastor to have to clean up. You see, this is the kind of revival that the, the shepherds want. The kind of revival that the pastors want, it just starts with a four-day revival. But it continues among the people. It continues in the pew. And this is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at the spiritual disciplines that can keep a revival fire burning in your soul. That can keep a revival fire burning in your marriage and in your house, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. You don't have to question and ask the pastor, when are we going to have another one? Because you already got one going on in your own life. This is what, this is what we're going to learn. I'm going to finish where we are next week. But here's, here's where I'm going to close and how I'm going to ask. If you want to be godly, if you want to be an example of Jesus Christ, if you're willing to take this journey with me through these spiritual disciplines that sometimes may hurt, that sometimes might inconvenience us, that sometimes might take a little time, take a little bit of effort. may not feel good sometimes, but if you're willing to take this journey with me, I want you to stand to your feet and say, God, I'm going to consecrate these next few weeks to you, to where I can learn to discipline myself 
for the purpose of godliness. And that's what we're going to look at next week, the purpose. Father God, we just thank you for your presence in the house today. God, I thank you that in the limited amount of time that I have, that you spoke the words that needed to be spoken. And I pray, Father, that every word would have fallen on fertile ground this evening. I pray, God, that it would find a place in the depths of all of our souls, Lord God, that it could bear fruit and fruit that will last. I pray, God, that as we journey through this series of spiritual disciplines, that we would understand that each and every one of us have a personal spiritual responsibility that you have called each and every one of us to discipline ourselves and not worry about those around us. The Word of God tells us that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. And that's what my prayer is over the next few weeks, that we all work out our own souls and we work out our own spirits. That we all work, Father God, at our own spiritual conditions so that we can be everything that you've called us to be. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, for your presence. Go with your people. Meet every need that they have tonight according to your riches in glory. I pray that you would heal the sick, that you would give strength to the weary, God. I pray that you would do miracles where miracles need to take place. That you would give jobs where there needs to be jobs, Father God. That you would mend marriages and relationships. That you would bring home lost loved ones. And that you would draw us closer to yourself through the spiritual disciplines that we already know about. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord, church?